This is Adam from Unstoppable Acting Studio in Scotland. And this is Jared from Actors Approach in America. And together, we are two guys talking craft. A one-hour podcast where we talk about the craft of acting. Explore the various acting techniques from all the master acting teachers. And help you grow your acting skills. Two guys talking craft. Two guys talking craft. It sounds much better when Adam says it. Yeah, it does. This is Two Guys Talking Craft. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Two Guys Talking Craft with me, Adam, uh, from Unstoppable Acting Studio, and in a second I will be joined by my amazing friend, Jared Kellner, from Actors Approach Craft Technique Toolbox. And um, boy, have we got a lot guys tonight welcome welcome everybody that's joining us in the live right now thank you very much for joining us uh thank you if you're joining us for the podcast hey. And, hey jared how are you doing excellent my friend how are you doing good very good um strangely jared i found out just like 30 minutes ago i checked in on the um, unstoppable acting studio twitter and I got a birthday celebration from Twitter, like one year. So it's officially one year to the day I started anything to do with Unstoppable Acting Studio. Wow. We're not far off one year of uh, doing this, I don't think, two guys talking craft. It's amazing. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> the queen got two birthdays. <laughs> happy anniversary, happy birthday. That, that, I was thinking about that too, that... Um, what an amazing opportunity to connect with people all around the world. You know, COVID has decimated, you know, the, the globe. Um, and if we have to find some silver lining, it's the connections, you know, it's the connections that we've made. A million percent. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, that, that this has been a, a regular feature of my Wednesday evenings for, for quite some time now as, as well. And, um, <laughs> Yeah. Unbelievably, we're at episode 20 of Two Guys Talking yeah. Craft World. It's awesome, incredible. And um, yeah, forever grateful for um, yeah, spending this time with you and spending this time with the, with everybody that comes and joins us for, for these sessions. And um, yeah, yeah we, we've been doing this, this journey, this adventure with Uta Hagen's book, Respect for Acting, for the past uh, couple of weeks now, a couple of sessions. There it is. I always marvel at the amount of post-it notes you've got in that book. Oh, yeah, Massive I've got a lot respect. of post-it notes. Yeah. Respect. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I mean, we're, we're doing this. I mean, people use this term quite a lot, I think, online, deep dive. But we're really doing this deep dive into uh, this book because there's just so much to unpack from it. And, and we, we got, you know, into this conversation, how far do we move with the book this week? And then we started discussing, well, there's a ton to, to talk about with sense memory. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, if we get beyond that this evening as well, I, I think we'll be doing pretty well because <laughs> <that's just, laughs> that's such a mammoth topic, isn't it? So I, I think that we could probably spend multiple episodes just on sense memory itself talking about you know what it is how to do it how different teachers teach it how different actors use it um so yeah we, we could spend hours and hours on just that one topic maybe we'll you know we'll, we'll, we'll scratch some surface but maybe we'll, we'll devote some quality time to just that topic on a future episode too but uh, yeah i want to be respectful to uda 
as well and uh you know get to as much as we can you know yeah. uh, for the remainder of this first chapter i mean this first portion of the book and it's just such a wonderful book i mean i mean we looked at it just this this first section alone to prepare for for our upcoming episodes and then last yeah. week we mentioned why don't we go back and look at it again and there were still new things that i, I was finding sort of uh near near the end of that, that first chapter there's just it's, it's so well written there's so much usable valuable things for, for actors to take into their own lives from from this book i think and, and that's before we even get to the, the exercises you know um so yeah just super excited to yeah to so maybe in. the maybe the takeaway is and yeah i mentioned this to you when we were talking um just privately last week that w in preparation for this live uh episode i i read the book and i'm I'm focused on trying to extract the gems so that we could talk intelligently about them so that other actors that are listening could get some value out of the discussion. So I, like, I think that the takeaway is for any actor that's out there, if you grab a book and you grab uh, a trusted confidant, a colleague that you, uh, that you respect and admire and you know, enjoy exploring with, if you focus on whatever book it is, if you focus on extracting the information so that you can have an intelligent discourse with that person, it helps you ultimately um, understand the material uh, at a much deeper level, as opposed to just sort of reading it and skimming and trying to you know, grab some information and be done with the book. Knowing that you and I are gonna actively be talking about it, trying to um, unpack some of the, the nuances it makes you stop and not rush and really focus in on the book at a, at a deeper level. I, I appreciate that from a selfish perspective. I mean, I've had this book since, you know, the late eighties and I, and I've read it a number of times. And, and now in preparation with you, I'm seeing things and understanding things from a different perspective. So it's, it's, it's really appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a fantastic journey. And yeah, I, I, I recommend people, people, yeah, delving into that themselves and ho hopefully come along with it, you know, on the journey with us as well as we, as we dive in. And we, we like these sessions to be as interactive as possible. So if you're joining us on the live, please comment, ask questions, share your experiences with the variety of things we're going to be bringing up uh, tonight. Um, but we are, we're going to start with uh, something that we, just finished up looking at in our last episode, right? Which was uh, sense memory, um, and we tried out a little fun exercise, didn't we? We uh, made you yawn because <laughs> Uta Hagen gives this quite re realistic sort of, uh, you know, a de definition of how we can tap into yawning, sort of thing, uh, through our physicality. Um, but we're going to talk much more about, yeah, her, her thinking behind it. Uh, today and, and, and some of her sort of uh, values and principles that, are, that go behind it as well. She opens the chapter on page 52, Jared, by saying that sen sensations are easier to recall that, than emotional memory. That's uh, something that she, she states there. Yeah. Is that something that you found in your experience? or? Yeah, I find that my, my path into reliving, re-experiencing uh, a past event is through a, like a portal, a sensory portal. And so, sometimes it's, you know, you'll be driving in the car and you'll hear a song on the radio that you haven't heard for years. And all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're right back in high school. Uh, you're driving in the car with your mates and, you know, the, top's the, the top is down and, you know, that sound. Or, I don't know, uh, I'll reveal something, you know, personal about myself. There was a, a girl that I dated when I was in high school, that used to wear uh, vanilla extract as perfume. 
So anytime that I go into a bakery, I get all these sensations, you know? <laughs> yeah, van vanilla extract does it to me. So sometimes it's a scent that's the portal into the life experience. So yeah, yeah I find that when I try to have a uh, um, an emotion recall experience where I'm reliving, re-experiencing an actual past event, for me, the fastest path into that that event from my past is through specific senses and it's different each time mm, mm, so no, just absolutely. don't just don't bake me uh you know like vanilla um cupcakes or anything i'll uh is that by distracted. exactly is that by chanel vanilla extract, vanilla extract. i can't remember you picking out that range <laughs> Isn't that funny, though? classic yeah. it's a classic scent right there yeah. um but no i and I, I think i'm exactly the same and, and perhaps I was doing that subconsciously and not quite quite realizing that that was how I was approaching sort of the emotional recall was having senses sort of triggering off and, and things like that. Um, and it is, yeah, it, it's just so so powerful. And I, I love this opening of the chapter as well, where, where she sort of <laughs> mentions the um, actors. She, she's generalizing here, but she says that actors, we can be hypochondriacs. Uh, and that we can be overly aware of our sensations. And I did laugh at this bit because uh, I'll be honest with you, this week I, I felt something in my heart. I thought I maybe was having a heart attack. I I'd had a bit too much coffee that day. Turned out, you know, it was just a bit of heartburn. I burped and it went away. But <laughs> I was like, she's talking directly to me, I think. Yeah, I, I was like, I've got this feeling in my heart and it's just gyrating, it's pumping and I, I think, Kerry, I think I'm going to maybe die, but no, I, didn't. I was all right. I just burped. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is a thing. Like we tune in uh, to to our sensations, uh, perhaps on a, a deeper level than some people have to, uh, and or um, we're much more conscious about it, I'd say, maybe. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. Like... Um, I think it's something which you, which you start to bring your awareness to, to to your senses and things. It's and you get it into a practice and you get it as part of your sort of regular sort of daily thing. Yeah, the, the, it is just this this part of you that doesn't really go away. I'd, I'd say. Yeah. So look, sense memory as an acting craft tool is probably the the foundation of many, many tools that are out there that if you don't have access to your senses and have the ability to leverage sense memory, there's so much available to you as an actor that you, you, you can't use. Like emotion, memory, emotion recall, reliving a past event. You do not have a complete and total experience without sensorily experiencing it. Some imagination explorations that you go on could be elevated and enhanced by sensorially experiencing them as well, as opposed to just thinking about them and imagining them. So sense memory as a practice becomes a critical part of an actor's toolbox. And you know, there's a practical way that you go about doing it. You know, you, you take an orange as an example and you hold it, you feel the weight of it, you feel the texture of it, you acknowledge what muscles in your arms and in your fingers and in your hand, in your arm and your shoulder are activated when you're holding it. You take a smell and you, you realize how much and, and what those particular scents are in your olfactory senses. Maybe you, you taste a little bit of it and you feel it 
the the sweetness of it on your mouth take a bite you chew, all this good stuff so by going through the process of experiencing it really experiencing it, and then putting it away taking the orange putting it completely out of sight out of mind and then physiologically recreating it from your sense memory and working towards the path of trying to have your senses respond like they did when the object was there when it's not that then becomes sense memory and if over time you have the ability to stimulate a response in your body sensorily when the object is not there an orange which is you know it's it's nothing it has it has no meaning if you can recreate the scent of an orange or the weight of an orange or feel of an orange and you know your strasberg starts off with the coffee cup right and a cup of coffee as an example if you have the ability to recreate some object some simple object you have the ability to create the sunset or the or the sound of uh, you know a beethoven um, sonata you have the ability to create um, some aroma some perfume and through those recreation of those uh, the sensory responses you can then bring to life past events right w mm. without it it's it's very general so the, mm. the the more you work on sense memory as a practical tool, that then becomes the path into a deeper, more complete experience. Mm. And, and I'm just I'm trying to look for the, the quote here from the book, which you she kind of mentions that right that it's just this constant thing that you can use and play with once you once you sort of tap, tap into it. You know, um, I'm, I'm struggling through all my notes. I put page numbers and everything in it, yeah. You know already fallen short with finding, finding a quote unbelievable um but yeah um I, I mean there is this this focus at the beginning on more of the stuff we were playing around with uh, last last week right about the physicality about sure. being able to access certain sort of sort of physical reactions through tapping into something visually that, that just sort of maybe spring something off or tapping into something um through, through touch that maybe um, opens up something like so uh, she mentions this near the start right how, how do we as actors show that we're in a, a deep sleep if she mentioned if we've just come from the dressing room the changing room everything's been rushing around and like we've had like a minute or so to be in bed and we have to the curtain comes up on we're on the stage yeah. we have to give the impression to the audience that we've been sleeping for several hours and that we're a little drowsy and that we're all over the place and like yeah. um she mentions how to tap into that quite quite quickly and she's really quite specific with her description of what you should do in that in that instance like it's like she's very analytically studied like what she is like when she's lying in bed and what her <clears throat> behaviors are what you know whatever she, she even mentions if your eyes she says, like, most people close their eyes and they, should, they put their eyes downwards. But if you put your eyes facing straight straight ahead and you visualize something that's a little bit fuzzy around the edges, uh, you know, like she mentions an object like a leaf or something like that, that you, that you see that and bring your attention to that. And then you bring your, your, your senses into some given circumstances and waking up and thinking, I've overslept or, or something like that. And it will jolt you from this sort of um, sleepy sense that you yeah. come over yourself. That to me was like, that's amazing. Within one minute you go through this this real journey, and the bit that the audience sees is the, the waking up sort of thing. But you put yourself under a, a, a certain situation there just by a couple of physical adjustments, you know. Um, 
And, and I think it's really incredible just the level that she's able to describe exactly what human beings go through in certain scenarios and situations and how it can then tailor sort of realistic behavior, you know? That's the scale, you know, I don't want, I'm going to make a generalization to say that most actors don't want to spend the amount of time necessary to work on the scales of sense memory to get really good at it so that they can use it effectively, dependably, reliably, repeatedly uh, on stage or in front of the camera. But th she was only able to write that chapter with that specificity about where her eye position was and what she was, you know, what she was experiencing because she took the time to deconstruct it and, and break down that process. And so if you want to get good at sense memory, not for the purposes of when you're on stage and it's apple juice and it's supposed to be scotch so that you could taste the scotch, it's, that's irrelevant if you can taste it. If you can taste it and it triggers a response in you that you could then put that response into the work, that's the ultimate purpose of it. But a lot of actors don't want to spend the time practicing outside of the, uh, the you know, the filming or the production on working on their scales, but you, you, you have to, right? So that's why you pick up the cup. That's why you pick up the, uh, you know, the orange or a scent of perfume, or you listen to music and you try to recreate it. If you can deconstruct how that object, and I'm, like air quotes for object being any person, place, or thing, if you can mm. deconstruct how that object outside of you affects your senses, remove it from yourself, and then work to recreate that experience on your senses, and have and have fun with it, right? So use use the vanilla, you know, extract. Use food that you like. Use a drink that you enjoy, right? A piece of music that you enjoy. Going out, looking at a landscape, and then closing your eyes and recreating that landscape, right? Make it fun for yourself, but work on those sense memory skills so that you can recreate the object when it's not there. So it impels a response in you. And then you use the response. There, there's a, it's a means to an end, right? The sense memory tool, the practice, is not just to arbitrarily be done so that you can taste the coffee or taste the scotch or hear the music. It's so that it has a, uh, an effect on your senses that triggers some sort of a behavior, character, emotion, response in you. And then you put that response into the work. It has a purpose, right? If I need to, let's say, you know, the script... Uh, requires that I uh, have a sense of nostalgia. Okay. How do I create in me a sense of nostalgia? Well, one path could be recreating through my senses, through sense memory, a piece of music that brings me back to a time that I'm nostalgic about. And so I recreate that. But I listen to it. I work on it, you know, uh, away from the production. I work on it so that I can recreate it. And then ultimately when I'm in front of the camera or on stage and I need to be nostalgic, I sensorially recreate the sound of that piece of music and it triggers in me a response of nostalgia. And then I put that into the work. That's the purpose of sense memory, right? It's mm. so that you could then take the response and put it into the piece. And I'm just going to jump in on another point. I just we had a comment there from Hazel. Hazel saying she can't hear any sound. I'm waiting to talk to her, but she can't hear me. <laughs> but if everybody else in the live right now can hear sounds, let us know. Uh, otherwise, we I don't know. We might log in, log back out again, or something. Um, I'll type to Hazel real quick, Jared, just to say maybe log in or log out. That might do the do the trick. But yeah, sure. just to add to that point, you know that it's you know she mentioned this right. Um, 
that sense memory in itself is not the end goal of the of the scene or for for the actor, right? That it's 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 just sort of part of the given circumstances that we're you know engaging with, and we have to engage with it in a certain way. Yeah, and um, I can't do two things at once. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm now typing goals. Hold on, maybe he'll lock in. You're funny. And, oh, it's, it's okay now. She says, "Okay, fantastic, kids. I'm glad glad you're with us." Um, sorry. Um, so, so yeah, uh, like she was saying that, you know, the, almost along the lines of the, there needs to be this level of nuance and care and respect for it because for want of a better word, if you bullshit your way through it and I, I'm, you know, reliving something or I'm tired or I'm drunk or yeah. whatever, if you give too much information about it, if you overplay it or you do it for the purpose of other people, sort of being aware that you are going through a certain state, yeah. then it's just not gonna, it's just not gonna wash, you know? Like, like it, we read into human behavior that is so much more nuanced than that. And she, she mentioned, you know, about the, the headache. Like, if you've got a headache, you know, maybe actors, their go-to thing is, ah, I've got, I've got a headache, you're, you're overcome by it. Then she puts in the example, well, how many times have you just been completely overwhelmed and overcome by a headache that you can't go, any further, chances are it's this internal thing that's happening to you. You don't necessarily have to refer to it physically or anything like that. It's something that you that you feel. Perhaps it will be mentioned in the script, in the play or the movie that you you're in that you have a headache. So so they have context that you've, yeah. you're going through this headache. You don't necessarily need to show it. And it, it struck me, it's a bit like if you call in sick to work. What, what do you call that in the states? We call it like yeah, having sick. Concept, and you're like, you know, if you're genuinely sick, right, then you don't say much, do you? You just kind of, I'm not feeling well today, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow or something. But the time where you're making it up, you're like, oh, uh, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got fever and a headache. And, sick. and you, you just overly describe the situation. Yeah. And it just comes across as, 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 and I think this this thing of, oh, I have, you know, this this responsibility in the script to be drunk, I better really ramp up the the drunk acting here or whatever, you know. And it just doesn't wash, you know. I don't think uh, you're you're bleeding uh, into chapter six, the uh, the senses. So maybe maybe we'll we'll go there. Uh, she had talked. There was one real funny line in the book where she was talking about, well, if I work for a headache, what what happens if I actually get a headache? She says, well, then work for an aspirin. You know, just, just work for the antidote, dude. It's funny. But um, so is, is it okay to move on to chapter six? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sorry, I'm very sporadic with these things. The thoughts occur to me. And then, so yeah. chapter six is called The Five Senses, you know, following uh, sense memory in five. So on page 61, she talks about self-involvement deadens the senses and vanity slaughters them until you end up playing alone and meaninglessly. I'm like, that's, that's really beautiful that we do these uh, sense memory type exercises. We as actors, we want to feel all this stuff. But in the end, if it is self-serving and it's not for the purpose of um, taking that response and putting it into the work to enhance the human connection, to help clarify the story, to elevate the experience for the audience. And if it's all just so that you could feel something and you, you end up creating this isolation and you actually distance yourself 
from the other character, from the other actor, and you just get so self-involved. So we should be really conscious that the intent of all of this, right, sense memory and, and emotion memory and all that, it's not for the purposes of uh, creating something in yourself that is just for you. It's all for the purpose of creating believable, truthful relationships, believability into the given circumstances, just having a, a layered and complex experience. And ultimately, um, whether you truly feel or not is irrelevant. If the audience perceives that you are in feeling based upon how your body is responding to those things sensorily, you, you've done your job as an actor. But spend, spend more time focused on putting the response of your senses into the work, into the other character, as opposed to just living in this bubble selfishly. Yeah, I, I, no. I like that topic. No, that was lovely. Um, no, no, very nice uh, quote there as Roger to, um, to pull out there. Um, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, hold on. I, I'm, I'm all lost. I'm just very organized in my notes tonight, John. I'm really sorry. That's okay. Sorry. Right. I'm on. Okay. No, I've got it. I've got it. I'm sorted. I'm back. I'm back with us. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of glossed over it a tiny bit. Was there, was there anything else from Chapter 5, sorry, before we move on to Chapter 6? Yeah, no, yeah, so that, that last little topic was on Chapter 6, so on the five senses. There was another another line in um, on page 61 where she's talking about using natural sensory responses to fulfill the work. Um, perfume, leather, fur. Like, so if there are if there are attributes that are true and real in front of you, if the the perfume of the person that you're acting with triggers something in you that naturally affects your senses, well, then use it, right? You don't have to go far, far away. Right? Use the reality of it. If, look, if you personally um, uh, have a strong negative reaction to uh, real animal fur or leather, and the other person is wearing a leather jacket or a fur coat, and the purpose of the relationship and the emotion is supposed to be exactly what the, those things trigger in you, then go ahead and use that too. Allow your senses to respond, triggering that natural response in you. Don't go too far away. If it's actually real right in front of you, just use it. Mm. And she gives the example of the, of the brothers as well, right? These, these uh, yep. ba Barrymore brothers yep. who, you know, one of them was so fond of his brother, like, you know, just really, really, you know, enamored with him, but they had to, I, th I think they had to play yeah, they were, the part they were, where they were against they were the enemies, two people, right? right? And so yeah. he, he, he used the, the, the scent, the, you know, the cologne scent that triggered that negative response. It's such admiration for his brother. He couldn't fulfill that negative relationship. So he had to use some sort of a sensory response to stimulate that, you know, that confrontation within him. Absolutely. Was it vanilla extract? <laughs> um, that's a little in joke from the start of today's episode. Probably, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> no. Because uh, of course, the extract is a, a wonderful, wonderful scent. The other part of um, chapter six in the senses that I thought was really interesting is something that uh, you and I are actually doing right in this moment. Um, we talked about smell and taste and, and touch, but we didn't talk yet about uh, the visual sense, the, the seeing. Mm -hmm. um, 
This is, I think, a really, a really important point is you do not always need to be staring directly into the eyes of the other person when you are communicating, right? You like right now, you're not looking at me, you know, sometimes I'm looking down. I'm, I'm, so we look, we look away in life. I'm telling you a story and I look away in life so that I can have a sensory experience so that I can see and recall the thing that I'm trying to, um, to, to share with you. Because when I'm looking at you, I have a barrier to connect to the thing that I'm trying to connect with because I'm seeing you and I'm focused on you. It's a distraction. So a lot of actors forget that in real life, we don't, you know, peer into each other's eyes, you know, hundred percent of the time we, we look away. And so, yeah, allow yeah. that to happen, right? M well, move off. You don't need to be staring at the other person the entire time. Absolutely. You know, otherwise you become this deer in the headlights, right? You're just kind of, artificially staring at the other person and you know I call back to our sort of Meisner episodes where, where yeah there were totally you know some activities within the, you know our, our Meisner exercise that was purely focused on looking at the other actor and, and yeah, not looking sure. away but when we started to add independent activity for instance then it, then it was this thing of like when, when do I actually look up to the person and give them my attention and when, when do I not sort of thing like and yeah, totally. For for some reason, when we're on the stage, all of a sudden we become laser focused on, I want to get, you know, like I've heard the great actors give their attention to the other actor. I'm going to give my attention to the other actor and I'm going to take them in. But like, well, actually this becomes a, a, then an artificial sort of device really, isn't it? That's it, just this go-to thing of like looking and staring at the other. Yeah, the other it's, actor. it's not natural. Yeah. 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 We, we, we do. We, we look away. Um, yeah. It, we we look up when we recall. We recall a sound. We you know we recall a, a, a smell. Uh, we 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 look away to re-see things, re-smell things, re-hear things. We do. We we look away. So yeah. you know, recreate the reality of that uh, on stage or in front of the camera. Um, and also on that note, there's a couple of bits we could go to here. But uh, listening is, as well. This thing of like you know, we not only listen with our ears but we, we listen visually you know like and, and often actors forget that that element as well you know like um they're maybe keying in and understanding that no like listening is a key thing i, I need to genuinely hear uh thanks very much uh and i think it's jonathan maybe jonathan thank you very much man we, we appreciate it um like uh and they do they, they listen and try and be present on stage to all the sounds that are around us but then a lot of what we take in, what a lot of what we're listening for is sort of the, how, how it's delivered, the behavior that's behind the delivery of that, that thing, you know, as, as well, isn't it? Like, it's, it's huge. Yeah, I think that some there's some statistic that says out of 100% of what we understand, it, you know, the actual words that are spoken, it's again, maybe 5%, you know? Yeah. The, the rest of it, the body language, the tone, the rate all that makes up the rest of it, which is why texting and emailing is one of the most horrible forms of communication and causes so much misunderstanding and misinterpretation. Yeah. You know, yeah. how many times have you, you received a text and like, I can't believe they said that. And it's, yeah. you've imposed all of this, you know, emotion and tone onto it where you, you don't necessarily know that, that, that your interpretation is exactly how it was intended. Yeah. Well, it's hundred percent. I think she gives the example in the book. It's something along the lines of you're you're lousy at 
blah, blah, blah. You're, you're lousy at, at that. Instead, in a very sort of serious face, a serious tone with, you know, um, very little expression, yeah. that can come across as quite offensive. With, said with a little cheeky smile and a cheeky yeah. run, you're, you're lousy at that. Then she says, well, we might be sharing laughter at that, at that point sort of thing. And it's it's about sort of keying in and, and listening visually as well as um, with, with the, the ears. So it's a lot of stuff there, you know. It, just also on the visually, I mean, I really love this. Like, uh, she says, you know, the, but, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. She uh, brings up this, this immortal line from, from Romeo and Juliet. And... You know, many times, you know, actors can give a general wash of that feeling. You know, we, we get the idea that, that uh, you know, uh, Romeo is longing for uh, Juliet in, in, this, in this moment. But if you actually visualise this beautiful sunset, you know, like if you, if you align with the sunset that you've seen in, in real life, the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen, and, and in that moment, yes, you're longing for Juliet, I mean, your senses, sensorily, you, you're just visualizing this, this amazing, I don't know, orange sky or whatever. Like, that can have great impact to, to, to that line that you actually just see the sort of the sunset that Romeo is seeing in that moment, sort of thing. And um, yeah, I, th I think when you work with the likes of Shakespeare and stuff, if you can really see these these moments that you're conjuring up and stuff like that, that's hugely helpful. Sure. In that instance. I, uh, I, I played uh, Tybalt. Uh, one time um, that was a, a really fun role I, I remember the yeah it was in that play there was an actress that was playing Juliet and she needed to weep and uh, could, couldn't conjure up the tears naturally and I remember her reaching into her nose and like ripping a nose hair out to like <laughs> trigger the weeping <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah maybe she could have used some sort of a sense memory experience to bring her into a uh, <laughs> an emotion memory experience as opposed to physically uh, torturing herself but uh, all right so uh, nick had mentioned about emojis being a a minefield too yeah you know the, the intention of the emojis are then to help uh you know clarify the intent of it you know smiley face winky face even lol you know at the end of a uh, of a, a statement helps round that out yeah, never know what yeah. to make of those aubergines as well when they're sent through. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah Indra, you, you're saying exactly what I'm saying that you know, texting and emailing, you can't, you can't hear the tone of the voice. So yeah, it's it's uh, ripe for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. Um, hey, you want to jump up to to chapter seven, thinking? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, just before we do so, yeah. like how she ends this this chapter. Yeah. I, I think is like it's just a beautiful thing to to live life by, right? Just sort of, you know. I, I'll say the the, the quote here: um, "Open yourselves up to your fullest capacity to give meaning to what you receive when you see, when you hear, when you taste, when you smell, and when you touch." Um, and um, anything dormant which you might awaken through daily concentrated attention to your senses will add to your growth as an actor, you know. And, and just this this thing, I just. As we go through life, being open to all of the amazing color that's all around us, isn't it? Like we, we just can quite often take it for granted, I think, like just everything that's around us that we can unpack and, and you know, use and sort of uh, build on and, and grow with as an actor, but as people as well, right? We just sort of maybe go through the day and, and don't yeah. take the time to just smell the fresh air or you hear the birds tweeting and all that that's, stuff. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's it's just making me realize how 
busy I think I am and how I'm rushing through life, not paying enough attention and allowing things to affect me like they used to. I remember, so when I was younger and I was studying acting in Manhattan, I used to spend time in between sessions, just going out and, and listening to the sounds of the street and smell, like walking up to the garbage and smelling the garbage or, or standing over the grate where the steam comes out and feeling it and smelling it and just experiencing all of that. The good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, just so that I had sensory experiences. Yeah, I think we get so wrapped up in day-to-day -day life, just rushing so fast that it's a good reminder that that last quote that you just read, just take the time to be open and vulnerable and receptive of everything that is affecting us. And then selfishly as actors, just <laughs> store it away so we can we can use it again later on. Sure, and and also just to add to that, you know, if if you are an actor who is very much grown up in the social media age, and you know, always had a phone in your hand, and you know, you are you're just sucked in into the stimulation just constantly, right? Being sort of given things and and, and receiving information and things like that, and I think as actors, just having that power to sort of slow down a little bit and appreciate all that's around you and see the sort of bigger picture is it's just massive it's it's just a, a huge huge thing you know it's it's just part of being a human being for first and foremost but i definitely don't think it's something that people should sleep on you know it's, it's like open yourself up to that yeah. you know i um, agree yeah um, however that might look for for people anyway um but nice one yeah let's let's move on to the the thinking thinking uh, chapter the chapter on thinking do you have anything that jumped out at you with thinking well, I, I mean, first and foremost, it's going back to the kind of thing we mentioned with the senses of an actor has a headache and overplays the the headache. Yeah, This is something I picked out initially as like her bringing up the fact of the actor on stage with a furrowed brow, with the hand on their, their head, you know, really thinking yeah. <laughs> hard, demonstrating the fact that they are going through some thoughts. Whereas actually, in reality, and I looked this up for tonight, I did a bit of research, we have 48.5 thoughts per minute, I think, on average, right? And that thinking and thoughts are so rapid, it's not something you can switch off. They're so random and sporadic mm. and it's not really something we can concentrate that greatly on. It's just something that's always occurring and happening. So as actors, we've got, we've got to respect that too, right? That we can't just all of a sudden slow down our thoughts and have greater control over them and, and sort of like uh, have almost a narrative going on in our heads with what the, the actor's thinking, because that is artificial. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I... Um... On on sixty five and sixty seven, there were there were two quotes that jumped out at me. Um, Real thinking proceeds, is accompanied by, and follows action. That real thinking is active, and it leads into um, acting is doing. It's not, you know, it's not just thinking. So. Real thinking proceeds is accompanied by and follows action. We must, as actors, while we're on stage or in front of the camera, always be doing and purposefully doing. 
you know, not just doing for the sake of having a, a physical task to go do something, but thinking about why we're doing it, right? Being truly connected to the, the, the physical, the emotional, all that. Um, th thinking is so important, but it's not just thought. It's thought and action. Acting is good. Yeah. Bring it to life. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, quite often, um, she, she mentions this. Sorry, Nick's just done a little comment there. Nick uh, saying, Jared, taking the time to smell the roses is so valuable, so beautifully articulated. Uh, I think he watched The Sound of Metal oh, recently. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, thanks, Nick. Thanks very much, man. Um, but, yes, yeah, the... Um, goes on about like only a philosopher can have this objectivity in their thoughts i've done this as an actor like I, I have as a character exercise i've written down which she discourages i've written down my character's thoughts you know like like they are a, a, a story or whatever you know before going into the scene like yeah, what I they might do i didn't agree with that point too I, i'm mm. i'm okay with it right C creating mm. the thoughts of the character journaling your your imagined history um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and perhaps what I've done it in is like almost like a diary entry or something, yeah. you know, like it's, it's more in that vein, you know, I'm not like giving a blow by blow account of what my character's thoughts are in that scene, you know, because yeah. that's very open to the scenario and situation that, that you're in, I guess, isn't it? But like, it's just, I, I love that, you know, bringing it back to being active, you know, that every thought, and, and it's just as in real life, right, that every thought springs from some kind of reality of doing no matter how bizarre or strange or weird it comes from right it's good it's prompting some kind of action in us whether it's anxiety it's worry it's happiness it's directly you know i'm going to go and change that right now sort of thing but we, we're never just contemplative for the sake of contemplating you know and, and, and that's, I think that's, that's the philosopher that she was talking about right thinkers yeah. that think that that's their profession they're thinkers they're philosophizers they're um, you know, the, the purpose of what they do is all about thinking and, and thought. But yeah, not, not us, not actors. Most, most characters not, right? We're not just thinking. We're, we're constantly in motion. We're constantly in action. Yeah. And in a sense, that, that should be quite liberating as, as an actor and quite freeing, really. You know, it, may, it maybe doesn't feel like it initially, but I think as long as you're aligned with the given circumstances, you have an understanding of your character, an understanding of the objectives within the scene and things, well, Actually, you know, a lot of this thought process that they go through, we can be quite nimble and reactive in some sense as to what's what's coming at you in the scene as to how you how you think about certain things and then how you sort of then react and respond to those things as well. You know, um, you know, and of course, some things are just there. They're, they're part of the person. You know, they're always going to be. You, your your comment just now um, made me remember what I was thinking about when I was reading this chapter. Um, a lot of times actors will take the script and they will make the assumption that the words that are written down, that they're obligated to speak because that's the script, are the first and only thought that the character is having. But that's not true to life, right? Uh, I'm doing it right now, you're doing it right now where we're thinking about what we want to say Sometimes we edit and we change and we ultimately end up speaking the words that come out of our mouth, but that's not necessarily the first and only thought that we had. And I think that uh, actors can bring some really unique qualities 
to the character, to the dialogue, to the relationships by thinking as the character that, well, look, I know that I need to say these lines, right? The actor knows it needs to say the lines, but is this exactly what I want to say? Is this the first and only thought? Or maybe this is the better way to say it, or this is what I'm going to say, because if I actually say what I want to say, what I'm thinking about saying, it may not, you know, help serve the purpose of the story, right? So ultimately we have to speak the words that have been written to us by the screenwriter or the playwright. But as an actor, in terms of, you know, staying in the chapter of thinking, just give some thought to this. Are the words that are in the script the first and only thoughts that the character has? Or are these just the chosen words that the, the character has chosen to speak and they're withholding something? And then it's, it's, in, it's in the withholding of the information and the thoughts that we can create the subtext. Right. It's the unspoken stuff. I say the I say the words that have been given to me by the the uh, by the script, but the thoughts that I'm choosing to suppress because I can't say them because that's not the dialogue that becomes this this living life underneath. So yeah, yeah just give give thought that the words in, in terms of the thinking that the words that are in the script may not be the first and only thoughts of the character. Beautiful, beautiful. Because we're just so complex, aren't we? You know, human beings in general. How often do we actually get to say the thing that we really mean or that we're really thinking? A lot of the time, we're in this dance, aren't we? In social situations of, can't quite say that. You know, like or you know, and a lot of the time, I'd say, I'd say more often than not, the actual words that are on that paper yeah. aren't actually what the character is actually truly thinking you know as well and that's that's part of the fun isn't it though, and you've that. you've uh taught this in some of your other classes with like ellipses or you know dashes and you're doing some script analysis i think that when you have some some dialogue and then there's an ellipse or there's a dash or a slash or something that it's uh it's the playwright or the or the the screenwriters they're giving you the clue that hey this is a change of thought or pause for a second, think about what you're actually saying before you go and say it, right? You can interpret, you know, the, the punctuation from that perspective uh, and really think about it. So don't just plow through, jump over the ellipse, ellipse, ellipses. Ellipses, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, plow through it and just continue on, right? It's a clue that, hey, stop and think, really think about what it is that you're saying. And and maybe that, you know, what comes after the ellipses is is not what you're initial thought was going to be yeah no absolutely yeah. um one, one more thought uh, from me on on this this chapter yeah um so i picked out i'll just read it word for word um so she she mentions about thinking uh these sorts of thoughts as being incredibly unuseful for for, for an actor who's out front an agent someone you love a critic a rival vanity all such destructive distractions should be dumped at the stage door before you enter the dressing room. <laughs> the fight against these intrusions on true thought can be conquered only by strengthening and enlarging the circle of inner objects belonging to the play and by using them to produce the characters thinking in a true lifestyle. So just this thing of eradicate any, any of that stuff, like, uh, you know, it's like debility. being aware of who's around, who's watching you, yeah. what they thought, what they felt about it. Like, because you're, you're just stepping out of, of being the character, right? All that stuff is irrelevant. And that said, I think it's, it never goes away. Like, that thought, I think it's a bit like, you know, 
the little devil on your shoulder. Like yeah, it's always kind of around, nigg niggling around because we we have this built-in ego as human beings, and it's it's always going to be swimming about. But you can sort of kick it back into into touch uh, more and more uh, with with practice. But I I think it is something as as you just grow as an actor. Um, that you become much better at ignoring that little little voice that might come in into your thoughts of uh, assessing your performance and sort of uh, giving a running commentary of how you did on something. I think it's definitely... Um, is it maybe, yeah, maybe not necessarily just ignoring it, but but managing it and managing mm -hmm. how, how much that little voice uh, infiltrates and infects the work and creates tension in your body. I mean, we're, we're human beings, right? We're, we're never going to get rid of it completely. And we actors, we are sensitive people. We really, mm -hmm. we are, you know, our hearts are open. We're all vulnerable. We want to be loved. We want people to tell us that we did a good job. So it's inevitable that these thoughts exist, right? You can't deny them, but you, you have to go out and do your job. And so uh, manage it, control it in such a way that it doesn't debilitate you from doing your job and being present when you're on stage. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, chapter eight. Sure, um, and and just before before we do, I, I love I love I just think she's so succinct, and how she runs off these chapters. Like like if you ever get the chance to read this book, if you're just joining us just now, like these chapters they're really quite short chapters, aren't they? But yeah. she just packs in so much information, and then her little sort of sign offs at the end of each chapter. So she mentions, you know, keep keep your thoughts fluid for your character's needs. You can't compartmentalize them, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, slightly there, but like. Um, you know, just keep them to what what your characters needs are at the time. That's this thing that's in motion. Just all the things that we've we spoke about there, and you can't really organize them or you know have them in nice little categories and stuff like that because that's not how real real life thoughts work. They're, they're sporadic. They spring up at different times and stuff. And I, I just think that's really key. You know, for some reason, when we get to step in somebody else's shoes. We maybe feel, you know, we can get to that level of, oh, I, I think they're thinking this here, and then they're they're definitely going to be thinking this here, and then, you know, we we can't make those pre decisions. It's got to almost spring out of the moment that we're that we're in when we're when we're acting, right? Sure. These thoughts, yeah. So sorry, I'm fine. I'm thinking. All good. All right. <laughs> so uh, chapter eight is walking and talking. Um, the the reason for walking is destination uh we don't pace for for no reason um there was a video that you know that's out with um in in the dvds that uda hagen says and uh, i think it's the actress amanda pete talks about um she was uh, filming something and the director told her to pace and she said you know no you know uda hagen tells me we're not allowed to pace uh destination and purposeful walking and talking. I was on a call and I was feeling stressed the other day and I noticed that I had been pacing back and forth while on the phone and I realized that I was pacing to get to not a physical destination but an emotional destination. So I was thinking about, you know, we, we walk and we talk and we do these things at the same time that movement has to have a destination, but I think it's not necessarily just a physical destination. It, it, it can be, but it's also an emotional destination. So I, I noticed that I was 
having this heightened sense of stress while I was on the call and I was pacing back and forth in my room. And I realized that the purpose of me pacing was to help me manage my frustration so that I didn't blow up. So the movement while I'm walking and talking had a very specific purpose, right? Its destination was to achieve a sense of calm and control so that I didn't act inappropriately. Right. And so mm. I think that if we can give some thought to our movements when we're walking, that we should always be purposeful in our movements so that we're getting up to go do something for a specific reason. Or if we happen to be pacing, that it's for a specific emotional destination. It's to accomplish a specific goal. Sure. And, you know, on, on that note as well, yeah, I, I think the pacing thing can totally be about stress. It can be about anxiety. I probably drink a little bit too much coffee. Um, <laughs> this might lead to it as well. But I, I, I often, when I'm on the phone or something like that, I'll be, I'll be pacing around and moving, and it helps me feel in the state of like flow with like what, what I'm saying. Like as, as I'm moving sure. as well, I feel sort of more connected. My thoughts are all sort of flowing and stuff as well. So I guess that's touching into a bit more of the psychological aspects of why, why we might sure. move as well. Like honestly, if I'm on the phone. I, I might end up in like a country field somewhere by the time I'm off that phone call. I'm like, how did I move here? You know, but it's this thing of, you know, maybe just propels us into, you know, a certain state that, that we're in some, some of this movement. Um, and you're right. Yeah, of course, there is the basic basics of I move because I have a physical reason to move and get up and do something or to pour a drink or to do, do whatever. But yeah, on a much more nuanced level, yeah, you're right. There's emotional reasons that we move. There's you know psychological reasons that we move and and, and, and things as well. And I, and I think as long as it's engaged and rooted in something like that, you know, some some reason, then great. You know, but I, I think she gives the example at the start of this chapter, doesn't she, of um, the actor who feels very much connected to um, the fellow actors on stage and things like that, and then they have to stand up, and all of a sudden, you know. It, everything becomes robotic and almost in slow motion and like it feels weird and it's possible because they've been given a, a bit of blocking that they haven't fully justified as to why, why they're as why they're moving it yeah I, i'm re recalling when i was first starting out um and i you know and i was unskilled and untrained uh and this happens a lot where you'll have a director that they see the the the, the pictures, the uh, the levels, the layers that they want to create. And so they'll create the blocking and then we have to deconstruct as actors. Well, why am I crossing over to the couch or why am I going over here? Right. And sometimes we don't understand that, mo you know, the, the, the motivation for it. And look, you do your job. You have to figure that stuff out. Well, one of the really funny stories that I heard about this was it's, it's, it's a joke. It's not a real story. It's a joke where the director says to the actor, Hey, you know, I need you to cross downstage left on this, on this particular line. And the actor was like, well, I, I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel the motivation to go cross downstage left and just refused to do it. And the director said, okay, that, that's fine. Stay where you are. Um, there's going to be a spotlight downstage left. Everything else is, you know, in black, stay up there that's fine you know you don't you don't have to cross but every, the only thing that's going to be visible on stage is downstage left where the where the spotlight is and so right that becomes the motivation you know for it yeah. just to be just to be seen um, yeah. but w yeah. walking and talking um movement it's all about destination and, and i i think if we 
if we open up the understanding that it's not just physical destination, but it's psychological destination, emotional destination as well, that helps justify it, right? So I'm crossing away from the people um, and there's nothing there. I'm just crossing away. So then the emotional destination is to uh, put myself into a safer space because maybe I'm just feeling a little bit too, I don't know, too vulnerable, too attacked, being so close to people. So my purpose for moving away, moving across stage, uh, you know, the director may want different levels, but the emotional destination is safety, security, a feeling of, you know, be being comfortable in that particular moment. Absolutely. It just, you know, to put it to devil advocates the wrong thing to say here, but you know, just to sort of delve a little bit further in, into, you know, so say a director says, right, Jared, and, and I doubt it would happen, you know, but maybe, maybe in those earlier days you were talking about where you felt a bit more inexperienced and stuff, can you, uh, you know, step step five steps to the left on, on that line and, and end up across there on, on the stage sort of thing? How, how are you negotiating that as, as an actor? Like, uh, you know, you, you feel okay, I don't, I don't really feel my character would, would move that five steps. Are you having that discussion with the director? Are you finding a way to justify, right, this is why I moved those five steps? How are you negotiating that? You talk to the director. Well, first of all, you do your job, right? Um, depends about where you are in the, in the, you know, in your career and in your relationship. And, you know, if you've got a good relationship with the director, you just have a conversation about, well, well what are you seeing? What are you trying to create? And what can I do to ultimately justify that? So it feels authentic enough for me to go do that particular movement. Uh, then I have to sort of look inside myself and say, uh, am I, Jared, imposing um, my belief system on top of the character in these circumstances? Do I need to get myself out of the way, right? Why would the character be moving? I've got to give some thought. It may not feel natural to me because I'm, um, suppressing the character. I'm laying myself on top of it. So get myself out of the way, do some proper script and character analysis and, and elevate the character from, you know, from the script. This is a similar conversation we've had before about uh, like Chekhov, like thinker, feeler, doer type people, right? And, you know, if, if you are a thinker and your first response with everything is to, to question and to analyze, but the character that you're playing is a doer, right? From their guts, they don't think they just, you know, it's all pure instinct and, and animal instinct and, and just action. Well, if I impose my thinker response to a moment, I'm going to not be faithful and truthful to what the intentions are of the playwright and the character. And so it's, it may be the same thing, you know, with the movement. Right. I've got to figure out, am I imposing myself on top of that? Um, and if I am, then get myself out of the way. If I'm not, then have an intelligent conversation with the director to understand. All right. I think it may not feel authentic, but it may create a beautiful picture of levels and layers, you know, that ultimately helps create this beautiful experience for the audience. OK, I'm, I'm the actor. I'm the hired help in this case. Right. You know, my job is to bring to life the vision that the director um, is asking of me. So just put your ego to the side, walk five paces to the right and say your lines and don't bump into the furniture. <laughs> but I love that balance. I love that balance so much in the description, right? Because you don't want to be the pain in the ass that just goes, no, my, my character wouldn't do that. You, you, you know, like, I love the fact that, no, you need to give that consideration. But is it me that's being the block here in that movement? Is it me yeah. that's sort of getting in the way? Like, uh, am I not seeing this? And you go through the motions and, and hey, you maybe even try it out, you know, like and give it a go. 
but you don't want to be that actor of no, no um, so my, my character wouldn't do that I'm, I'm not going to do that and and there's a lot of those actors out there right? trust Just me right? <laughs> be, be a friendly fellow you know yeah. be somebody that you want to work with again you know build a, build good relationships so that you can get hired again you know don't cause problems yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. I love that balance. But also, don't, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and have these discussions sure. if it does arise as well, because you don't want to be on this situation of being on the stage and doing something that just, I, I don't, yeah, I can't quite access it. I don't, I don't feel, you know. So it's the way in which you, you communicate with the director in that case. It's, it's not, uh, I don't, that doesn't feel right to me. My character wouldn't do it, right? The, the question really is, help me understand your vision so that I could bring yes. it to life authentically. Yes. You know, don't go in yeah. confrontational, go in collaboratively, you know, yeah. help yeah. me gain clarity on, you know, what you're seeing, you know, what you're trying to accomplish so that I can, I can fulfill that for you. Yeah. That's no. a, that's a good act. That's a professional actor. No, it's wonderful. It's um, chapter nine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Improvisation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, Let's just go into to, I gotta, a bit of that. I got to get to a quote on page 72 that I, I thought was really good. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sure we agree that acting is the response to an assumption by doing something to somebody at a given place and time in order to bring about human behavior which can be seen and heard by an audience. Yeah. I, I like that definition of what acting is. I'm sure we agree that acting is the response to an assumption by doing something to somebody at a given place and time in order to bring about human behavior, which can be seen and heard by the audience. Yeah. I, I wrote exactly, exactly this time as well. Yeah. Um, so simple. Yeah. Yeah, it like, doesn't talk at all about you know acting is uh, feeling and emoting and you know and creating you know d deep emotions and you know a lot of actors they they have the capacity to you know uh, well up with you know deep emotion but no it's about experiencing something between uh, you know between the circumstances between the, the different people so that we create something for the audience to see and have an experience mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. otherwise just stay in your room and you know practice by yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, and and doing something, you know, as well is is this 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 key phrase of being in action, you know, is is as well like is, is there a thing to pick out there, isn't it? And like, um, yeah, I I've never thought about impro improvisation in in this way explicitly. I I, I guess I I kind of categorize it in my head. It's something different and separate that we do as uh you know maybe maybe an exercise to build on our character or whatever but but kind of what she's arguing in in this instance is that like well well actually improvisation is at the heart of a lot of what what we do as actors when we're in, in engagement with s someone else you know like um that discoveries are made and that things are sort of um yeah f found as as we're up there and, and and sort of being in engagement with another person and and I think that's really beautiful. It's like, you know, we we did all our 
our sort of Meisner stuff, obviously, which was a sort of similar idea. Sure. Um, and I think Meisner would maybe describe it as like being in the moment and being open to, you know, the, the circumstances and stuff. Um, but yeah, I've never thought of that. It's like I'm going into a scene and even though I know the dialogue and I, I know everything I have to say and stuff, there's still a level of improvisation in how you approach the, the scene with that other actor. You see where it goes, you know. I mean, every performance is going to be slightly different. Um, there's so much of value in if you have a rehearsal process and you have rehearsal time and it's not, you know, um, episodic TV where it's just, you know, you, you don't have the, uh, the time to do the rehearsals. Um, but if you're in a production and you have, uh, you have an actor friendly director that gives you the opportunity to do improvisations as the character in the environment, uh, you discover so much about the character, the relationships and the circumstances. Some of those improv exercises are going to be the, the character by themselves in their home doing something that never appears on stage, but it's just their truthful life so that they can experience what it's like to you know, walk a mile in this particular character's shoes, become intimately familiar with the set and the props right sometimes the improvisation is you know some made up dialogue of some circumstance uh to help create a a, a deeper connection and a foundation of trust between the two actors um build history you know the imagined history between the two characters improvisations have so much benefit to the actor to the character to the productions if you have the ability do it do improvisations well, Moose, and I'd, I'm one million percent with you on that. It's, it's always been so profound. Anytime I've been given that experience, I, I probably haven't been given it an, enough, you know, like yeah. over the years and stuff as well, because you're always racing ahead. Well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we're against the schedule, we're against, you know, uh, time here. But there's so much to, you know, just, just to, um, to be found in those times. Have you ever done um, a devised play? where it's just a group of actors and you throw out an idea and you just improv, improv, improv. And then all of a sudden over time, characters and relationships and circumstances start, start to evolve. Have you ever done one of those? I've only done it with friends when I was a student. We were doing like little short film stuff. I love Mike Lee and I love how he operates. He's, he's this uh, British film director we have over here. And that, that is literally it. He gives these character packs to... Yeah. Uh, people and so you know they, they know about the character's history and stuff and then right. brings them together have, they, have you, have they you devised the story through improvisation yeah. yeah yeah i've directed a couple of uh, classes where the um the, you know the final class was uh, a showcase a presentation of a devised play we've done it you know a number of times where you have a group of actors and just you sort of round table just some ideas some some topics some relationships and we say okay the two of you go up and, and do that um but you know you're at the post office these the, the husband and wife are in line at a post office now go just do something and now let's take that exact same conversation and let's put it in you know the the, the second pew of a church same same relationship same conversation different location and let's see what we discover. Let's see what happens by just simply changing one element of it. And then little by little, you know, something comes to life and you, you through improvisation, you can find some really beautiful work. Yeah, I, yeah. I love it's, doing that. Some of the most electrifying moments in, in, in cinema that I've seen is, is through, you know, improvisation. Improv. So we, we have another director called Shane Meadows over here in the UK and he did, did this film called This Is England. 
a lot of aspects of that are improvised. And it's just taking this group of people and doing exactly what you're saying. So, yeah. you know, in apart scenes and relationships and stuff. And it's the sort of acting you just, you couldn't bottle it, you know, you, you couldn't sort of recreate it. It's just unique to that moment sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, like, I, I think it's a hugely, probably undervalued and underused thing in the world. Like, I do think it's something that could be explored a, a, a lot, lot more. Um, it's so much it, fun too because in yeah. those devised plays what you end up with is um, plot points that need to be explored with inside a given scene but they don't necessarily need to be spoken exactly the same way each time sometimes those plot points don't need to happen in the exact same order but by the beginning and the end of a given you know scene this little vignette you have to explore these couple of things. And those couple of things are discovered through the improvisation exercise. And then little by little, you end up with a play that is just, it's plot point after plot point after plot point. And you end up just having uh, quality actors are putting 100% of, of their attention on the other person because they don't have uh, you know, dialogue that's memorized. They have plot points and so they have to listen. They have to be fully present. Those improvisation uh, experiences are amazing. I love yeah. them. And here was me just thinking they were trying to save some money on on a writer. <laughs> there we go. No, yeah. um, but on that note as, as well, you know, just the sense of and hey, hey, Paul, nice to join us. Thank you. Um, oh, Paul was on Actors Talks on last Actors night. Talks. Shout out to uh, our our friend Mark uh, over at Actors Talks. Check it out. That guy's nightly, right? Nightly on the. Uh, Russian. Uh, I think I, I was listening the other day, and I think he had said that he he had surpassed his fiftieth guest. So if it wow. was, you know, it would, it's a year's worth of you know weekly podcasts. You know, yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I've listened to some really wonderful uh, discussions with with Mark. Yeah, yeah, and uh, shout out to Paul. Check out Paul's episode from from last night is as well over there on um, Mark uh, Beauchamp's uh, Instagram. Um, you say Beauchamp? But, is it? I, I we're gonna I, have I'm, a debate I'm about it. Be Beauchamp Beecham. Be I think he was saying Beecham, but anyway, uh, find Mark uh, Beecham Beauchamp, however he pronounces his last <laughs> name. He's got some quality stuff. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry, yes. Yeah, so just, just um, what, one thing on, I, I had left on this chapter on improvisation, Jan, yeah. is, it's just this thing of like surprise each other as participants, you know, like as, as sort of fellow actors. You know, you, you always want to be being open to the possibilities of where you can take the scene. But she mentions don't, don't paraphrase, you know, and, and like have from this, what I kind of gathered was, yeah, the book's called Respect for Acting. This is almost like respect for the writing, right? I think anything that's put in black and white by a writer has to be respected in some way, unless you've been given the license to play around with the dialogue a little bit and things like that. Like, I think there is something in the writer that you're working, whose words you're working with, they've went through a process. They've thought, you know, very well of which words and punctuation and stuff they want on that piece of paper yeah. and you have to respect that in, in a certain uh, manner even if you don't like it even if you think it's dog shit <laughs> you still have to have a, a bit of level of respect unless you're given license to no, do what you want with it I, I've had that exact conversation with many actors in terms of uh, audition preparation and audition coaching um, 
where I, I am, I'm so adamant that you must respect the words that the script writer has chosen for the character. It's not your job. Your job is not the writer. Your job is the actor. Bring the words that were carefully selected to life. The improvisation comes in in the interaction between, but leave the words the way they're supposed to be, you know, said, mm. unless, you know, given permission to go off and ad lib. But yeah, it's not your job to change the script. It's actually, um, it's incredibly disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think all that happens in, the, in those instances, if the writer ends up being in the room, Could all your be. feedback and notes are going to be, are not about your acting, but yeah. about, sorry, yeah. it said this on this words. line and stuff. You'll get caught out yeah. at some point if you go down that, that route, I guess, is, is the, is the yeah. lesson there. Yeah. Um, have we got a bit of time for reality? Yeah, let's, Jeff, let's this close it out. Let's talk about it. This seven. one, I think, is pretty, pretty quick, too. Um, here's my takeaway on reality, the, the last chapter in the first part of the book, that um, the reality is not always the best and only choice for the actor. So... Uh, drinking scotch on stage, uh, the reality is not necessarily the best and right choice. Uh, when uh, cutting onions on stage, perhaps use a potato or an apple instead of an actual onion, uh, instead of a, you know, a really sharp knife, the reality could cause problems. Uh, she gave the example of, you know, steam coming out of an iron that actually burned the actress and the curtain needed to come down, you know, and the, the, the audience is looking at, oh my God, that's real steam. That's amazing. And it's a complete distraction from the imaginary world that the actors are creating. So sometimes the reality from a physical perspective is not the best and only choice. And then she gave a really important example, um, and I believe it was her experience with um, Marlon Brando when doing Streetcar Named Desire, that he had grabbed her arms uh, so tightly that she had so many bruises. And when she confronted him, and, and I believe this to, to be true, that it was about Brando, um, you know, what, you're hurting me. You know, his response was, well, I really felt that that was my reality. And so he injured her because it was his reality, right? He, he was feeling that and put that into the work, which then injured her. So the reality is not necessarily the best and only choice. That's why we, we have to have active and vast imaginations, Right? We have to be able to drink the apple juice and experience scotch. We need to be able to cut the potato and experience the tears that an onion would create. Right? We need to be able to sensorially create that steam as opposed to really burn ourselves with steam on stage. Reality is good, but it's not necessarily the best and only choice in all circumstances. That's, yeah. that's my commentary. And, and, and the, um, no, I, I, I mean, it was exactly the same thing. The punchline to that one being when we assume it's Brando grabs her the next time she screams at him he, says, he gets pissed off he says you, you weren't supposed to, to scream at me on that line well that was my reality you were, I felt it <laughs> yeah, yeah I felt it right I felt and it. I think she makes a, a great point like and you've touched on it there is because then the audience is removed from seeing the character that's in front of them yeah and instead they're showing concern for 
is that actor hurt? And they're starting to see you as an actor and not you as a character, right? Oh, yeah. You know what? I, yeah. I went and I saw um, Michael Shannon and Audra McDonald in, on Broadway, um, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And he was cooking uh, eggs and bacon on stage, like really cooking it on stage. And all I could think about was, oh, my God, what skill and how much rehearsal process um, you know, it, it took to make sure that he successfully cooked the eggs and the, and the bacon um, and the smell wafted through the theater. But like, I was completely removed from the imaginary circumstances of the characters uh, and, and the play because I, yeah, it was Frankie and Johnny. And I was, um, I was just enamored with the reality of sizzling bacon and the smell of the eggs, you know, wafting through the theater. I lost mm. track of what was going on. And so even though it was incredibly cool to watch, I stopped mm. being uh, an active participant in the character's journey. And mm. I became an actor watching another actor cook, you know, actually cook on stage in a play. Yeah. I, I find that in a sense of like any of these radical physical transformations that actors make, you know, like, uh, like Christian Bale, you know, famously sort of, Losing all that weight for the machinist and then bulking up for for Batman is that, like I do find that is a sort of element as well you know like uh, that you just get sort of drawn in and, and sucked into oh man you know how did they go about do, doing all that stuff you know and it's not said don't don't go down that route I guess it's just because these are very well known people that you know we, we do get sort of caught up in those stories more you know like um, of how realistic the, the, the yeah. you know and faithful to the role and their, their part there but yeah something in that in it those performances that have these physical transformations that's the thing that people remember and talk about rather than their performance sometimes you know sure yeah sure yeah yeah and it, yeah that thing <clears throat> the reality it's maybe not always the the best direct sort of route to try and sure. recreate you know? yeah but uh, she does bring up in this one as well that reality, it you know, is this incredible thing, and it is this whirlwind, and it is this thing like uh, that in real life, we, things occur in our life that almost doesn't seem real, you know, like mm -hmm. that just seems really out there, and like that even if in the play, you know, it, it doesn't quite seem real. There is a way of of maneuvering and, and and finding a way to bring your reality to it, and uh, there's a the famous example of Harold Pinter, right? Um, who wrote very wacky, surreal scenarios in his plays. And I think he was getting interviewed in a pub once, and it was like, how how do you come up with these mad scenarios? And I, and I think at that point, like, it was this uh, chimney sweep guy came into the pub and was like, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing here, but it was like, try to sell him a cat or something like that. And he's like, well, well this, this is, this is, uh, so he, he, you know, was living his reality in, in some way through, yep. through those places as well. And I, I think that's, that's key, right? It's, it's this thing that you brought up of the same negotiation of having the director that tells you to walk five steps and be like, oh, I'd, I, um, my character would do that. If you're presented with something that you feel this is, this is completely unrealistic. This is completely, farcical or whatever like you've got to find a way of bringing reality to that that is your job and that's your responsibility right yep. as, as an actor to find a way into it and not say this needs change this is unrealistic i can't do this you know the story about harold pinter triggered a memory when i was a uh, um a young teen i was uh, at the orthodontist getting the uh, the braces uh fixed and uh, a deer walked into the uh 
into the building. Just the deer, just, you know, walked, pushed the door open and walked in. And we're all just watching this deer just walk around us. And then just deer just walked out. Like, yeah, st stuff happens like that. That's the, that's the reality. Yeah, yeah. So, so. All right. So, Adam, we are we're done with chapter one. We 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 talked about chapter section one, respect for acting over three sessions. I think we did some really good discussions, some deep dive discussions. Um, just real quick as a recap. Um, obviously, the introduction, um, but we talked about concept, identity, substitution, emotion, memory, sense, memory, the five senses, thinking, walking and talking, improvisation and reality. And now we're done with chapter one, part one. And now we're going to really be getting into um, the, the exercises, right? So coming up in, in the upcoming sessions, we're going into there, part two. The object mm -hmm. exercises. So, mm -hmm. you and I will do our homework. We'll we'll read. We'll we'll add sticky notes on all the different tabs, and we'll come back in two weeks, and we'll talk all about the exercises. Maybe you and I will do a little bit of work. Sometimes we'll talk. Sometimes we'll act, and we'll have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, on two yeah. guys talking craft. And just on that note, I I've been a little laggy these past few weeks of uploading our most recent Uta Hagen episodes to Spotify, Apple Podcasts and stuff. I'm going to bring them up as a trio, and a nice treat uh, for, for everyone. Uh, so a trio, if you've missed out on any of our Uta Hagen um, sessions over the past couple of weeks. And up there already on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts, we have a ton of stuff. Uh, we did a whole four or five weeks on Meisner. We've looked at Stanislavski. We, we, we've just done a whole... A heap of stuff. What so. we would like, um, so Nick says, uh, so much stuff covered in one episode as per usual, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. M much appreciated. Um, so Thanks, Adam, Paul. I will, yeah. will be sticking with this Uta Hagen book and exploring it for, for the next several sessions. But I, and we've got ideas of, you know, what book or what topics come next, but um, would love to know from you what books or what techniques you would like us to explore. So, you know, reach out to us, message us, and let us know uh, what topics, what techniques you'd like us to, to dig into. Um, so uh, Hazel says, uh, can I see the previous ones? Y yeah, so Adam's gonna post uh, the, the previous two and this one um, from the Uta Hagen session that we're doing. He'll post them uh, soon. And then you, could, you can listen to these on, um, you know, wh wherever you get your podcasts, yeah. Spotify, wh wherever, or you can go to my website, actorsapproach.com and click on the podcast link. And then you could just, you know, get, just get uh, connected right in there too, as well. Absolutely. And I'm going to say tomorrow, they're going to be up there. Go Hazel, they're going to be up there for you. And also you can check them out on the Instagram live TV as well. Um, yeah, Hazel. Thanks for the kind words, Paul. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate um, yeah. um, maybe some David Mamet. Maybe some David isn't... Mamet. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, nice. we, we could dig into so, some of his work, some of his uh, philosophies. I, you know, so actually, I've got um, th this book here, um, you know, Practical Aesthetics that uh, David Mamet, uh, William H. Macy and others uh, created um, a, a whole system 
And, you know, Mamet studied, that's so funny, you know, Nick, that you mentioned that, and, I, and I've got the book, you know, right right here on my Oh, just the way I say, you're just, like some kind of acting guru magician that's just, just magic and hoops out of the Yeah, practical aesthetics is, you know, the, the technique that was developed from David Mamet, William H. Macy, and, and a couple of others. And, you know, the foundation of Meisner and other, you know, but there's a series of questions that actors need to ask in order to, um, to explore that particular technique. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... It's it's a great technique. Maybe it's you know yeah. maybe we'll put it on the list. I want to see if I can do it. Like, well, it's funny you say that, Nick, because I've got this this book. <laughs> what do you got? It doesn't work for me. Anyway, doesn't work. How about, how about this one? See, this is Eric Morris's latest what? book. <laughs> All right, this is so personalities. Yeah, I mean Eric Morris is a genius. We you, if if you and I started exploring Eric Morris's work, we would be here until twenty twenty seven. I really wanted his latest book. I've started this one, The Actors Other Cells. It's, you know, digging into subpersonalities, archetypes. Uh, what You know, it's quality, quality stuff. I would love to do some, some Eric Morris. Uh, you, you introduced me to, to him. Um, and uh, yeah, at some point, I'm through guys talking craft. It'd be amazing. Well, you can study with him online. He's offering classes online too. Just go to ericmorris.com. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Getting good at this plug. All right, my friend. Um, I, I'm hearing the uh, the doorbell chime. My my wife just got home. I think she ordered sushi, so I think the uh, the sushi delivery man just arrived. Use those senses, smell it, taste it, visualize it, all that stuff. And um... <laughs> Nick shares <laughs> that the reality of having the book took me out of it. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> I should have sensorily created the book. Nick, I'll, I'll strive to do better next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening in. If you listen to the podcast, and Jared, until next time, I appreciate you. I'll talk to you later. Great. All right. Talk to you after. Bye bye, everyone. <laughs>